by you to bring your kingdom here on earth. Jesus, you are good. And we thank you. And thank you for Scarlett. We pray for her in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. You want to come with me as I preach? Okay. So, no. Thank you, guys. We love y'all. Give it up for Scarlett this morning. Love you, guys. All right. Well, this morning, uh, just a one quick last announcement. We do have our night of healing prayer and night of worship coming up this week. And it was really cool. I, I um, This week I, I asked uh, April just to send out um, to see, hey, there are stories of God's movement and our nights of healing prayer and nights of worship. And, and so I want to share just a quick story with you uh, from Mike and Lisa Stevens. And I'm just going to read to you what she wrote um, in her email to us. It says, one night at our night of prayer and worship, uh, Steve, near the end of the service, stood up and made a statement that there were a couple of people who were rubbing their knees during service. So basically, a lot of times when I'm, when I'm just trying to listen to the Lord, I, I'm, I'm just aware of this, had this picture of God like touching, rubbing knees. That's kind of odd, I know, but it's just, for me, kind of a picture of how God is moving in the moment. So I called for anyone who wanted prayer for this or any other issues to raise their hands. He said those in attendance should gather around them. So I had you stand up and go pray for people. Uh, and then so um, I guess it was Mike. I can actually apologize. I'm not sure. Do you know what? Was it Mike? Was it Mike or Lisa? It was Mike. Um, gathered around Mike and prayed afterwards. At the very end of service, um, I think it was David Gillen came up to ask if he could pray for my knees to be healed. I answered yes. He prayed. The next day, my knees, though still hurting, felt strange. The strange feeling lasted two or three more days. And after that, all the sharp pain that I've been experiencing was gone and to this date has not returned. All right. Praise Jesus. And so um, so it's one of those things, again, when we talk about praying for healing, it's not just to make you feel better. Right. We are literally asking God and for, for a movement of his spirit to bring about healing and and it's one of those pieces that, again, all we're doing is we're just trying to follow the model of Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read uh, the New Testament and read the life of Jesus wherever he want, went. He loved on people. He saved people. And he brought healing into their life. And so we just want to offer the same thing and pray for people the same way Jesus did. So this uh, yeah, this week will be great if you come and do that again. Let's see here. I don't, I don't have it actually in front of me the date. Is it up here? Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Thursday, this Thursday, April 28th at 7 p.m. All right. Be good. All right. Hey, so this morning, it's already 1045. And I've got a lot to talk, say, so I apologize. We're going to run this a little bit late. Uh, I'll try to be done a quarter after. Um, so we are in this first week of our Q&A series, our question and answer series. And so we came out of a series on momentum. We came out of a series where we talked about prayer. We went into Easter. And now we said, all right, let's begin to just talk about and ask some questions, maybe that are, that are stirring in you. And so we literally have a Google Doc that, had, that, you can, that you can sign up for. You can put your questions on. And so we had questions that were asked at the beginning of the week. We had some that were asked at the end of the week. And so this week I'm going to try to name four, answer four, uh, and go through those. And we'll look at some more coming up. The, the third week we're going to spend most of our time talking about homosexuality, the LGBTQ+, the gender movement, right, that's going on. Because there were multiple questions that have been around, asked around this issue. And so we're going to take time and process that in the third week. But this first two weeks it's going to be taking some, some questions. I'll just go ahead and give you a heads up. Some of these questions are theological in nature, and some of you just won't care about them. We'll talk about, and some of you really, really 
really will care about them. We're going to talk about some more personal questions and things that people are working with. We're talking about some ethical questions that people have. And to know along the way that some of these things just don't have black and white clear answers. There are a lot of opinions about a lot of these questions that we're going to be asking. And most of these, I'm just going to be sharing some of some of those opinions because recognizing nobody actually really knows on some of these. The ones that I feel like are clear and concise, then I'll begin to give some of those. A lot of these I'm not going to give my personal opinion in. I'll just let you go form those. That was actually my favorite thing about seminary. As I was part of a seminary, they didn't tell me what to think. They taught me what people do believe and they said, now you go study it for yourself. That's really how I, that's what I love. I love that place. And so I'm going to go throw out some things and that I'm probably, listen, I'm probably not going to satisfy you in any of the answers that I give in a holistic and full kind of way. And I want you to know I'm okay with that. Uh, but I do put it back on you if you really care about these issues to go back yourself and take some time and study and, and read and learn for yourself and begin to engage those things. And so. Um, if I don't get to your answer in these three weeks and you're super passionate about wanting to know, then you find me afterwards because I don't know who asked the questions. You can find me. We can talk about it one-on-one over coffee. And, uh, and so I hope I get to them, but I don't get offended. It uh, wasn't that your question was bad. Uh, just didn't feel like that was the direction we needed to go for, uh, for that Sunday Q&A time. I would say this, and that's what I'm asking to ask of you. I'm always super hesitant to do things like this primarily because of the culture in which we live. Uh, I don't know. People just like to cancel one another if people don't believe what I believe. And so people by nature, unfortunately, we live in a culture. People just carry stones around everywhere they go looking to throw them at people who disagree with them and things that they don't like. And so here's what I'm asking you to do. I love you and you love me. I'm just asking you to put your stones down this morning, right? Just put them down so that we can have a conversation and and recognize on some of these things we may have disagreement on. One of my favorite papers I ever wrote, in fact, it wasn't one of it, it was my favorite paper I ever wrote in seminary uh, from my professor, Bob Tuttle. Some of you heard him years ago at First Methodist or maybe at Asbury. Uh, he was a missiologist. He was an evangelist. He was a John Wesley historian. He led, he's led more people to Jesus in his lifetime than probably all of us combined all over the world, literally, right? Crazy, crazy, just God-fearing man. Water, Randall. Please, water. Thank you. Um, man, thank Jesus for water. Good Lord, have mercy on me. Now, in his, the paper I wrote was simply this. What's the least a person can believe and still be a Christian? What's the least a person can believe and still be a Christian? I'll be honest with you, it was one of the hardest things I've one of the hardest papers I've ever written. It was one page long, double spaced. I got a 100% on it. Not to say that he is the judge of what's good in papers, right? But we sat in our class and just said, the idea, guys, is so often we wrestle over things that aren't the foundation. And then we divide over things that aren't the basis of faith. And his point is saying, if this is the list of the least a person can believe, 
then can we demand, ultimately demand anything else? And so what I want to say today as we sit here this morning is there are foundational truths of salvation that put us in right standing with God for eternity. Some of those things are Jesus is the only way to get to heaven, which we're going to talk about next week. We're going to talk the foundation that Jesus came to earth as God and as human being 100% equally both. We believe he lived perfect. We believe that he died and we believe that he was resurrected. And that only as we then receive that as a gift and we respond by submitting our lives to Jesus for salvation, can we be saved? These are some of the primary foundational truths. And so beyond that, then, the things that we wrestle about, the things that here been, I'm there forget driving in Dalton, Georgia with my dad who's here this morning. And driving through going, why is there a second Baptist church, Dalton, when I was five years old? Well, first Baptist church, had, and they had this, I think it was over carpet. And it was some long story that I tuned out on. So stones down this morning. I'm going to answer some questions that I may be wrong in. Grace. If I say Grace. Thank you, I appreciate that. And we're just going to go through these pieces, okay, and just see where it goes. First question is on the screen, I believe. I believe in prayer, but if honest, I struggle with it many times because the reality of unanswered prayer that has, has led to dis- disillusionment, difficulty in believing God, can you speak the reality of unanswered prayer? So in our conversation for the last uh, several weeks leading up to Easter, we've talked about prayer, right? We talked about its goodness. We talked about the goodness of God, his nearness, his holiness, his desire to respond when we talk to him, his desire to respond when we call out to ask and how we were called to intercede for small things and big things. We said in intercession, we ask God to, to work powerfully, to heal thoroughly, to set people free completely. As we talked, we painted the picture of prayer as something beautiful and as something that's wonderful. But if we're all honest, sometimes it just isn't or at least doesn't seem like it. Sometimes prayer unanswered, it leads to disillusionment and despair. All of us have felt it. All of us have experienced it on some level. We've all been left wanting and wondering about this idea of prayer. So in dealing with unanswered prayer, let me just start off by saying, again, there's not some easy equation that we can build that leads to a nice and tidy answer that makes everything super easy for us that we can then apply in every situation. It's why the question is asked again and again and again and again, because people have a hard time with things that aren't super cut and dry, black and white, and make sense they can see with their sense, see and experience with their senses. There's not something easy. So a few things we'll start off with that have historical precedent that leads to prayer being unanswered. These are things, so everybody say, everybody say orthodox. That's just simply a word that we use to talk about things that the church has believed for a long time, kind of just agreed upon and believed. That's just my general basic definition. It's how I see it. It's the orthodox view. It's how the church for a long time has just viewed things. So in orthodoxy, a couple of things we see that 
keep uh, the cause there to be unanswered prayer. Number one is sin. Sin in our lives. In salvation, you can look at the list. I think there's three things I'm going to name this morning. There's sin, there's unbelief, and then there's the mystery of God's will, right? Historical precedent for answer prayer, sin, unbelief, and the mystery of God's will. So number one, sin. In salvation, we said last, in the last couple of weeks, in salvation, God puts a verdict of innocent through Jesus' blood upon us. So when Jesus looks at us and says, okay, you're in right standing with me. In essence, you could kind of put it in marriage language. We are now married, right? Just kind of helping put it into our context. We're now married. Great. But sin, then, are those things that we do in disobedience, in sin right? Sin causes this separation from God in the same way. If you sin against your spouse, how it ultimately kind of brings this kind of division in your marriage. And sin has this. The picture I've always used is, is this, this picture of like a hose that has water flowing through it. And sin is like the crimping of that hose. It just hinders the flow, right? Hinders the relationship. You're like, well, why does then God bring about unanswered prayer if I'm literally in a context of ongoing sin. I'm not talking about, oh my gosh, I made a mistake and I fell into sin, then I pulled back from it and repented, asked for forgiveness. I'm talking about the journey that we're on of ongoing, chosen, willful disobedience acts like a crimping of that hose. And it's just like this. If Randall are going about life and we got married, right? We got married in 2001. It's been great. And then all of a sudden I cheat on her or I super rude sitting at the kitchen table what's going to happen she's like and she kind of turns away and there's this distance and what is what does her distance tell me things aren't right between us and that separation is a gift to me to remind me oh i need to apologize and repent of this unanswered prayer is a gift from the lord to help us remember and recognize there is unrepented sin in our life Second thing, again, just going through quickly, unbelief. An unbelief, a lack of faith, trust, and belief can keep God's answers from being released in our lives. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says, If any of you, it's on the screen, if any of you lacks wisdom, thank you. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that's driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. It's just a clear this a picture of like, hey, the nature of what doubt and unbelief do in our lives. It creates this separation. Doubt is not, listen, we talk about doubt in this. I'm not talking about that momentary sensation or hesitation we have when we're asking for something in our lives. You know what I'm talking about? That, that like, oh, gosh, this, this just seems like a big, almost a little bit nervous to ask for this, uh, that hesitation that we have. That's not the doubt that I'm talking about. I'm talking about that doubt of, like, a true unbelief. So, for example, in the world that we talked about healing this morning, there are whole sections of the church that just don't believe that God heals anymore. There's an unbelief. That literally acts as a wall up in the context of our prayer life. When we come to this place of saying, I just don't really believe that God can do this. I don't believe this is true. I'm not sure that God is good. He can do these things in this moment. We see it in Matthew 13, 58. 
talking about um, the town of Nazareth, when it says, And he, Jesus, did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. Mark says, And Jesus could not do miracles there because of their lack of faith. Matthew changed the language because he did not, Mark was written first of all the Gospels, right? And so Matthew changed the language trying to bring clarity, but partially because he just didn't like that language of saying he, Jesus couldn't do something. But, but there's this tension, so either Jesus couldn't do it or he just couldn't do as many, whatever it may be. But whatever it was, their unbelief was keeping the flow of answered prayer from happening. And the third piece, and this is the big one that everyone wants to know about, the mystery of God's will. The unanswered prayer around the mystery of God's will. Let's be honest. It's this third bucket that is the biggest and the most overwhelming. Listen, I've had my own moments where I have people line up in prayer in front of me asking for healing or, or from a touch from God. I'll pray for one person and something powerful happens. And then I go to the next person, right, who's passionately longing for God's move. And it feels like I hit a wall. I prayed for some to be healed and they're just like right there in the moment. Then I pray for the next person and they get sicker. Right? And you're left just going, oh, Right? And I get into that moment going, that's the mystery. And let's just be honest. Some of you who were super black and white and everything in life just don't like mystery. It's more of a wrestle for you than it is for a guy like me who's a little bit more comfortable living in the gray sometimes, a little bit more comfortable living in the not fully understanding and not being able to grasp hold of. And so in this this morning, it's a mystery. And that mystery can either paralyze, it can frustrate and offend us, or it can be a place where we lean into the sovereignty of God. We lead into the overarching, big picture, understanding that God has. And we say like Job, who seemingly was having all of his prayers unanswered. All right, you're not answering my prayers, and though you slay me, I still will follow. It's not comfortable, is it? It's overwhelming. Though you slay me. I don't like that word. I wouldn't use it. Job did very comfortably. He's in the Bible. Or like Peter, when he was when asked by Jesus after Jesus had like offended everyone by saying, drink my blood and eat my flesh. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, do you take offense at this? Do you want to leave me as well? He said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Basically what he's saying is, I would leave if I could, but where am I going to go? It's better. It's the mystery. It's the tension. In our book, uh, we looked at How to Pray by Pete Grieg, some of you bought. He takes a chapter where he deals with unanswered prayer. Part of, his, part of this is from another book that he wrote called God on Mute. So I would encourage all of you who want to dive deeper into this as a resource. Pete Grieg, G-R-I-E-G, a book called God on Mute. He tells this experience he's had of his own wife having a brain tumor and having to work through that and the tension of that and his wife not fully being healed. She's doing okay, but life is really hard because of all the medicine and the things she has to do every day. And it's just part of the story that he experienced of his own, quote-unquote, unanswered prayer while then connecting Scripture to it 
uh, and kind of walking us through it. Again, not getting to some nice, neat, and tidy answer at the end, but ultimately leading to the mystery. So in that, what Peter breaks down, what Pete breaks down for us uh, in that in here, and I'm going to kind of tap into this morning, is less a defense of why God doesn't answer prayer and more of well, what do we do in response to recognizing there's a mystery around unanswered prayer? So with that in mind, marrying thoughts from the book and kind of even attaching, just kind of attaching into my own experience, I'm just going to kind of give you a process that, uh, that I read. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is really similar to mine. I'm going to kind of give you my process as I come into prayer and the tension of maybe God will, maybe God won't answer in the way that I want him to. The first place, and Pete talks about this, and the first place I've landed in my own life is, is I aspire to live. This is not on the screen, so I apologize. But I aspire in an aspiration to live confident of God's love as a good, kind, and compassionate, loving father, regardless if he does what I want him to do or not. Like, that's the foundation for me. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how he's going to answer. And like like Job, though you slay me, I'm not going to leap because you're God. And Peter, like Peter's like, ah, where else am I going to go because you're God? I land this place as saying, all right, I want to land in this place, come hell or high water, that I believe and trust that God is good, kind, loving, and he's for me no matter what happens. And that requires a level of investment into relationship with him. Everybody has a great relationship with Jesus until he doesn't do what they want him to do. Right? That's how we all live. We're all great with Jesus until he doesn't respond the way that he's supposed to respond. And so in that, I get frustrated, I get angry sometimes, I wrestle with the why, but I always return and always aspire to the return to the foundation of his love and my conviction that there is no one and nothing better to turn to than Jesus. This isn't uh, answer of why doesn't, this is not the answer to why he doesn't answer. It's simply saying when he doesn't and the mystery of it, the foundation for me is, but God is good. Number two, I'm, convict, I'm live convicted by Isaiah's words where he says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens, put that on the screen for me, please. I think it's on there. Isaiah 58, is it not on there? Okay, sorry. For my thoughts, this is what it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I love it in Jesus' prayer from the Garden of Gethsemane. Excuse me, Gethsemane. He passionately cries out. He passionately cries out to his Father to let his cup of suffering pass from him. But then he says, but not my will, but your will be done. If you're going to unpack any kind of statement of Jesus, that would be it. I really want this cup to pass for me. I don't want to go through this cup. This is not my desire. This is definitely not my will, right? But your thoughts are not my thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. And that's hard. But the picture of that is that God sees a bigger picture that we don't see. And that's hard for us sometimes. God's ways are higher. 
the hard thing for us that God's ways are not always easier. Isn't that the tension? They're not easier, but his ways are higher. Listen, I fight for things all the time in prayer. I tell God what I tell God what I believe is good and right. I tell God the things that I'm convicted about and think are in line with his will. But I live in the place of recognizing open hands. But you, your ways are different than mine and your thoughts are different. And ultimately, God, I submit and want your will and submit to it. This is easier with some prayers and painfully more difficult with others. I love that Jesus was honest. He was honest with God. In the garden and on the cross and the difficult moment, I'm a, I, I, we want you to be unafraid to tell Jesus. Coming to him saying, God, I feel hurt, I feel angry, I feel disillusioned. Jesus was the same way in the garden. He knows the importance of his death, its impact on the world. He doesn't want to go through Listen, he doesn't, he doesn't want to go through with the suffering because it's going to be brutal. He prays, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup. Basically, in essence, he's saying, Father, you can do anything. Nothing is too hard for you, so much so that you could remove this cup of suffering and death and do it another way. You could find another way, God, please. He's coming in being honest. He's already had conversations with the Father about this. He's not unaware of these things. I love Jesus as one of the last prayers. I think it's in Matthew. One of the last, the last prayer he prays, at least in Matthew, before he dies, is he's yelling at God. He's yelling at God. It says he raised his voice and says, my God, the only time he doesn't name him Father. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why did you turn your back on me? He's honest with the Father. Number four, I'm also honest about spiritual warfare. Pete Creek does a great job talking about this in his book. I'm not one to blame every bad thing that happens on the devil. I'm not quick to blame him for every unanswered prayer. But the reality is this. When praying for breakthrough for someone who is living in agreement with the work of the enemy in their life, I have to remember I can't fight their battle for them, and they have to respond themselves to the work of God in their life. I pray for them, but I have to recognize when Scripture says, hey, listen, remember in your life you need to put on armor when you go into your day because there's a real enemy who fights you. God doesn't tell you to put armor on if it's not a real battle. He doesn't say, hey, when you go out there and have an air fight with the enemy, he says, no, when you wrestle, we don't wrestle against flesh and bones, but against every principality and power of the air. Part of our unanswered prayer, you can go back and read Daniel 9 and 10, where Daniel is fighting and interceding on behalf of Israel in prayer. And finally the angel comes and says, wow, sorry, we wanted to come earlier, right? But the prince and principality of this area has been fighting in the heavenlies, and we just now were able to break through. I don't understand how that works. I just know it's true. And it's your prayer, right? I recognize God. I recognize where's the enemy moving in this. And then five, if God doesn't give me the reason for unanswered prayer, making it black and white and clear, then I ask God to give me grace to believe that he is good, 
grace to continue trusting him and grace to help continue believing him in prayer. Because I don't know about you, but when God doesn't answer a prayer, I want to stop praying. Remember when Paul said, I've got this thorn in my side. I've prayed multiple times. Will you take it away? Will you take it away? Will you take it away? God never answered him. God never answered him. God never answered him. God never answered until finally God just says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's his only answer. So here's the point I'm getting at. There's a mystery and an unknowingness to the, how God moves and why he moves and why there's answered prayer and why there's unanswered prayer. And some of those things are a mystery that we'll never know. And we pray for grace in those. We're aware. We're remembering that God is good and asking him to help us. Remember, we're being honest in the process. We're believing. And ultimately saying, God, help us. Unanswered prayer. Again, I look at this and go, the enemy wins. The moment that we allow our frustration intention of unanswered prayer before God to pull us away and stop talking to him and asking him for movement. And I just look at you and say, I'm sorry. It's hard. And I can't make it better. And I wish I could. And I can't even give you an answer to an equation that makes it easier for you. But I believe God's grace is sufficient to meet you in those places that you have the right to be honest in your frustration before the Lord and ask for grace to understand his, that his ways are higher than our own and then to pray, say, now, Jesus, but draw me near in the middle of these things and help me to continue praying. All right, it's already 11.10. Man, I've got three more questions to go, and I've got five minutes to do it. Awesome. And some of these, man, it just takes some time. Good Lord, have mercy on us. So I apologize. We'll try to get to these next week even more. I'm going to come down to this last one. So the, the other two, I'll just kind of give these to you. If, uh, and again, if these are your questions, great job. You win on getting them asked and answered. I don't have time to cover them. So come back next week. If the account of Adam and Eve is simply a story... And that have literally been the only two humans on earth, as you allowed from the Easter sermon, which I didn't, that's not exactly what I said. But how has sin entered all of humanity? If there were others, wouldn't those folks and their offspring have been without sin? I really wanted to talk about the tension and the theological tension that's the, one of the most hotly debated topics in what I call conservative, Jesus-loving, evangelical Christianity, people like you and me. Creation and the whole reality of creation is one of the most hotly debated topics. And so I wanted to walk through it with you and recognize it has nothing to do with salvation, right? But it's just an interesting topic. It's that something that I would never want you to divide over someone with and just recognize there's all sorts of questions and thoughts out there around it, but we can't get into it, so we'll talk about it next week. The second one was this, if God is all-knowing, did God know that Adam and Eve would fall into sin before they committed the act? Which then leads to the question behind the question then, if God knew Adam and Eve would fall into sin, then why did he, why did he either, one, create man in the first place, or two, create, create the opportunity for sin knowing its impact on him and the world? 
And so we'll dive into those. Does this sound interesting to you? Fantastic. Be here next week. All right. It's like I did that on purpose. All right. All right. Here's this last one. Um, How do you know the purpose that you were built for? And how do you reconcile it when it does not fit with your family or own desires? You can put that on the screen for me. I think it's the fourth question. Is it on there? Golly, I just really failed everybody here. How do you know the purpose that you were built for? I build these slides. And how do you reconcile it when it does not fit with your family and your own desires? Now, listen, we live, so the idea of, like, this idea of purpose, what we were created for, right, recognizing this tension. We live in a generation where personal purpose and personal satisfaction in jobs and in life is at an all-time high. We want to do things we enjoy that satisfy us, right, again, things that bring us joy, and it's understandable. But I want you to hear this. As it relates to God's purpose for you, to be honest, it's very, very simple, and it's very straightforward. The purpose for every human being is the exact same. It's to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And the second purpose that you live for is to love your neighbor as yourself. So we get so caught up in like thinking of vocation, things we're giving ourselves to, jobs, all these pieces as our purpose in life. But those are never the defining purposes of who we are. When we get to heaven, Jesus is not going to have a conversation about your vocation, about your job, about your sports team that you're a part of, and all these pieces, what he wants to know. And all those things that you did, I'm not going to ask, he's not going to ask you how much money that you made. He's going to say, did you love me with all of your heart, soul, and mind and honor me in the way that you were doing it? Did people know who you were and who I was through you? Did people think that you were for them and not against them? Did you help them climb the ladder or did you just help yourself climb the ladder, right? He wants to know your divine purpose, regardless of what you do, is always the same. Everywhere that you go, whether you are a garbage man who is equal to a lawyer in the eyes of God, purpose and vocation are different. Did you love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind? And did you love your neighbor as yourself? If you get caught up, and listen, if you get caught up in thinking your purpose is your vocation, then you will find identity in your vocation, and that's dangerous. Our identity is only found in the person of Jesus. And if you, listen, if this week you made a blunder that cost your company $10,000 or more, do you know how Jesus thinks about you? Hey, did you humble yourself in the moment? You did, and I think you're amazing. You're the best. You honored me and you fulfilled your purpose. The $10,000, I can make that up for them. It's no big deal. You're not defined by it. You're defined by your relationship with me, and that is your purpose. What we really mean in vocation more is about, uh, I'll put it in here, I'll say, let me find the words. I like my words better than what's coming to mind right now, right? Um, sorry, thank you. You can do the Jeopardy sound if you want to. Yeah, when thinking about your job, thank you. The better word use is what are your passions and your giftings? When we think about vocation, what are your passions and what are your giftings? 
right? That's where you give yourself. So if you're really, really good with numbers, you don't become an artist unless you're a paint-by-numbers type person, right? If you're a numbers person, you go into something with money, with accounting or something with numbers, right? You want to get, like there's these giftings and these passions that ultimately God has given you. That's a vocational piece, but it's not your purpose. Purpose is only defined by loving God with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and loving your neighbors yourself. What that should cause you to do is go, ah, I don't have to get so caught up. Like, God, am I being obedient to your narrow will about what I'm going to do for my vocation? God, sometimes, and I would say, this is my opinion, most of the time says, I don't really care what you do. Just as long as you love me with all of your heart, all of your soul, and all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, that's so freeing. Now, yes, sometimes God may say, go be a football and quarterback coach for a long time. That's your passion, right? And Barry is like, praise the Lord. He's like, yes, sir. State champion coach right here, right? Two times over. He'll tell you all about it. (laughs) And you'll enjoy it (laughs) because it's a great story. No. But I think in that, I recognize the tension, especially when we're like giving ourselves to things our our family's not on board with. And so, again, these are easier said than done. And I wish we could have coffee conversation over some of these things. But one, again, some of these are just super common sense, and I'll be done. Intentional prayer requires you in these moments of vocation and purpose, what you're giving yourself to, there's attention. It requires you being intentionally engaged into prayer, saying, God, I submit even my own longings before you, right? You have to be willing to let something go. Number two, if you have this desire for something, recognize this is big, your timing. God may say, go do this, and you immediately latch on to it, and you need to listen to make sure what the timing is for it. Like, I could tell you stories about that, but I don't have time. Where I'm like, oh, I just missed your timing. And so with that, three then, would you seek, please seek wise counsel. The most dangerous person is the person who hears from the Lord and never submits that to somebody else to see what they think, to see if they're in agreement. Right? That's the most dangerous person. I heard the Lord say, We see in part and know in part. Did you seek wise counsel to get a whole picture of that? So seek somebody, wise counsel around this piece. And the third thing is have an honest, loving, and grace-filled conversation. All of those words were important. Have an honest, loving, and grace-filled conversation with your family. Listen, we have to honor our parents no matter how old we are and how old they are. We honor them, not necessarily doing what they say, but listening to them so we can understand what they're thinking, asking if they do the same in return. If your parents, if you cannot have an open and honest conversation where you let your children speak unhindered and listen to them and understand them so you know where they're coming from, then you're not winning as a parent, no matter how old you are. Win parenting by listening well. And you bring those things to your parents to have conversation with. Okay. It's 1119.
If I quick. You ready for next week? All right. Let's take ministry over. Yeah, so I'm going to invite the gearings to come back up. I know it's a weird time to go into ministry. You're like, that's great, Steve. Now, how do we go into ministry? Well, here's the deal. How many of you need Jesus? Put your hand up. All right. How many of you want more of Jesus? As in, like, every day you want to be awakened to a greater understanding of who he is and fall more in love with him? Put your hand up. How many of you this morning probably have needs? You can keep your hands down this one so you're not too exposed. But have things that you would say, I would love for Jesus to move in this morning. I would love to pray into this. And many people would raise their hand. That's what we have ministry teams for this morning. I would say it's already 1120. So if you have kids, I would ask, would you go ahead and go get your kids for me this morning so we don't run our children's ministry ragged this morning, please? If one of you wants to stay for prayer, that's great. Uh, but we would ask you at least one of the other parent, or if you can get someone to go get your kids for them, would be great. Uh, but let's just let God minister this morning. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and to have your way. Jesus, we invite you to speak. We invite you to move. We ask for your grace this morning. Father, you are good.